We're back. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jonathan. And we are the Evangelicals. Does God communicate with us? I hope so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really strange question, maybe one that we don't think about often enough. But I hear people often speculating or wondering, asking the question, does God speak to us? Or even more troubling, probably, I hear people saying, yeah, I was, God was talking to me the other day. And oftentimes when I hear people say that, I'm like, oh, no. Are you sure oh. it wasn't just the Mountain Dew? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen your diet. I'm, I think it's is it the, is it a Scrooge who says when he when the angels visit him in the dream, he's like, "Oh, you're just a you're just a crumpet or a piece of rotting cheese in my stomach or something like this." Well, I think too it it it's a great question because you know you have some people who believe God is just somewhere far off, like we're separated from God, and maybe one day you know this whole Gnostic idea that. That we're kind of just making it and and maybe one day we'll see him. And so I think it's an important question to ask is, does God still communicate with us? Does God still lead us? Does God still direct us? Or are we just kind of on our own hoping to make it one day in the end? As Christians, we look throughout scripture and we see God interacting with people in the Bible. But because our canon of scripture is closed, I think we are anxious about saying that interactions with God that happen in the present or since Bible times are Bible truth. You know, we're not as confident in interactions with the divine mystical experiences that people have as we are in biblical texts. So we're talking about that question today. Does God communicate with us? Does he speak to us? Uh, let, let's start. At, let's start at the beginning. You, you said if we're going to talk about this today. You want to talk a little bit about Genesis. Well, I think it's just important always to maybe begin in the beginning. But I think that you know it's a very good place to start. As um, very some, cute. <laughs> I think what's so important for us to understand and realize is that even before the world was beginning to be created, it says that the spirit was hovering over this abyss or this darkness, this chaos, and so. Even before light, even before the waters were separated, God was present and, and God was hovering over over the deep, over the abyss. Um, once again, it's just this amazing language in the Hebrew of trying to describe what, what the beginning was like. And and so I would say that that we don't have that understanding that God is somewhere far off, but even from the beginning, our concept of God is he's always been here and always been present even in the the chaos and the darkness and the 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 waters, um, his spirit was present even before we were 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 created, and and so I think that's a good place to start because I think it gives us a perspective of saying, well, yeah, we believe God is among us, we believe God is here, we believe God is present, and therefore I think that that He does desire to communicate, to lead, to guide, to continue to speak newness into our lives. Um, and I think a big question is, are we aware or are we understanding or are we looking for those moments in which God is trying to communicate or speak to us? And what does that look like when he does? Well, even in Genesis, we find God creating 
by speaking, by communicating. It's as if his very essence is communicative, which makes, which makes me ask the question, is God speaking continually? Is God always communicating? This is what the psalmist implies. I think it's Psalm 19, this idea that the heavens are declaring the glory of God and the skies are proclaiming the work of his hands. What's interesting about that text in particular is that the next line is about the heavens, day after day, they pour forth speech. But but the thing is, fundamentally, they're silent. I mean, yet the yet the ancient writer of the Psalms is saying that there is this form of speaking that's going on. And the, the very first action of God is to speak light into existence, to speak beings into existence. And as I read that story, I wonder that if I was there at creation, if I could have been a, someone watching, someone spectating, a fly on the proverbial wall. <laughs> that, yeah, that's that's exactly what it would have been. <laughs> because there were no actual walls. Right, right, right. I mean, I wonder, I wonder what what is that voice? What does that voice sound like? It. What is the intonation of the voice of God? And really, this is this is a question that all humanity has been asking. Throughout history, I envy Adam and Eve in the garden in the sense of it, it seems through the Genesis text that what's going on in the garden is that they have a very s- sincere confidence that they're able to hear and discern the voice of God, even that they've, after eating the fruit, know when to hide because they hear God walking, you know, um, I sit in pastoral counseling with people and there is no sense that God is watching or that God is coming. I was talking to a guy sometime back who was wanting to divorce his wife and in order to help reconcile that decision, he went and interviewed other people who had been divorced seemingly to him successfully. And what they all told him was, hey man, just do it. There's no lightning bolt from heaven that's going to come strike you down. Don't worry about it. You know, this guilt stuff, you know, this, this spirit of God stuff that don't, don't worry about it. Essentially we, and that's what we have done is we have become so enculturated that I don't, I don't know that we are able to pick up on, to hear. I don't know that we are attuned to what is the voice of God? And so this conversation couldn't be more relevant in my personal opinion. Well, then you jump forward and Jesus is getting ready to, he's died in a tomb, resurrected. And he looks at his disciples, his followers and says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to be with you continually. And, And so Jesus even promises this one who's going to be sent that will lead us and guide us. And in essence, you know, this Trinitarian understanding is the Father, Son, and Spirit are one, and and Jesus was in bodily form, so he can only be one place, one time, but the Spirit will be everywhere all the time. And and I think what's happened in, in, in our history, especially uh, we were talking in the recent last few decades, 
is this rise of Pentecostalism. Um, that's probably not the way to say it, but this rise of charismatic theology has arisen, which some people want to look at and say, are they, is it real? Are they putting on a show? And so I think what's happened is sometimes when something comes to the forefront that we question, we often swing the pendulum to the far opposite side, rather than looking at that and saying, okay, what, what is going on there? And maybe we don't swing the pendulum all the way to the other side. Once again, where we say, oh, the spirit doesn't matter. The spirit thing isn't there to convict us, to lead us and guide us because we are pushing against what we're seeing and people saying it isn't real, isn't true, rather than saying, okay, but what is a good understanding of how the Holy Spirit does work and how do we hear from Him? Maybe maybe we don't live into that understanding, but it doesn't mean that the Spirit um, isn't here and doesn't still speak to us in ways. And so it's almost like sometimes we're afraid to be associated, you know, and even our own tribe used to be called the Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene, and we dropped that off of our our title, but sometimes we're afraid to be lumped into, to be associated with, that we just kind of swing to the the far end of the spectrum um, and not really have a great conversation about how does the Spirit talk to us? How do we know what the Spirit is saying? How do we understand the Spirit's work in our life um, on a day-to-day basis? Well, we're very suspicious of people who say that they have heard the voice of God because we've seen so many people take God's name in vain. We are suspicious of people that say the Holy Spirit moved in this way because of the charismatic crazies, let's call them. Uh, These people that have built theologies on this idea that the most... uh, the, the, the surest way that you can know that you've received the spirit of God is to like speak in tongues or perform miracles or stuff like this, which is really not cornerstone theology in the Bible. It's, it's tertiary stuff, but, but the people who have claimed to sort of have a monopoly on the spirit or to hear the voice of God, a lot of times they're lunatics, they're crazies. And so we are anxious about being called, uh, we're anxious about saying that we hear God or that we're spiritual. When I was in college, there was also this great suspicion of mystics. Yeah. And I would hear people all the time saying, well, I'm not a mystic or I'm not mystical. Well, mysticism is simply trying to experience the most of God in this life that you can. Everyone's mystical. I mean, the idea that the idea that we're suspicious of being mystical is just so funny to me. Whenever I hear people say, "Oh, I'm not a mystic," I'm like, "Well, then, are you just atheist?" I mean, like, what, like, what are you? Because to a certain degree, everybody's mystical. I mean, the most, the most non-charismatic Pentecostal, whatever you want to call them, person, when their spouse dies, becomes very attuned to the spiritual world. That just it just happens, right. you know. Um, but I, but I think the question is, how does God talk to us? How does he speak to us? I want to go back to what you were talking about, about the Holy Spirit. In the book of John, in John 14, Jesus gives us, or, or the apostle John gives us these words of Jesus uh, before he goes to his passion, talking about the advocate, the spirit coming. And Jesus says that the spirit will guide us into all truth. We understand from the book of John that Jesus is coming as the judge. And what Jesus says through John's gospel is that he's sending the paraclete, which is a legal advisor. 
one that is showing us how to obey the words of Jesus in order to prepare us for the judgment. This idea that throughout our lives, because Jesus has given the Spirit to us, we have the opportunity to, in real time, interact with God, discerning what would be the will of God and how to obey Jesus throughout our lives. And Jesus says that the mark of loving him, if you want to know whether or not someone loves Jesus, you'll be able to tell by whether or not they obey his word. And he implies in this passage that the way to know how to obey his word is to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, the question that that we've got to ask ourselves and that we have to wrestle with and that I believe is working out one's faith in fear and trembling is, what is the Holy Spirit saying to me? Is the Holy Spirit speaking to me? How can I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in my everyday life? I think as you look through scripture, so if we start once again with the premise that <clears throat> since the beginning, the Spirit has been hovering, the Spirit has been here, God has been present literally since the beginning of the world. And then if you look through scripture, you find all of these stories where people are living their lives and they're getting caught up kind of in their own under, their own selves, their, their own self-worth, their own self-importance. And they kind of have these moments you know, as good Wesleyan holiness people, we'd call them sanctification moments, maybe. Or maybe just crisis moments where you have like Jacob, who's literally running for his life from his brother because he's cheated him out of his birthright and his inheritance. And and and, and Esau says, next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. And so he's literally running. He's in the wilderness. He's, which, you know, in biblical terms is this understanding of just in the middle of nowhere, not understanding what's going on, not understanding what's happening. And, and he falls asleep and he has this dream. And uh, these angels ascending and descending, and he wakes up from this dream, and he says this line that I think has really given Jewish rabbis this much to talk about. It's this simple line where he just says, well, God was here the whole time. I just wasn't aware of his presence. And so, it wasn't the fact that God was somehow absent and Jacob was was not in, in – Jacob was was – different or, or somewhere separate from God. God was there the whole time. He just wasn't aware that his presence was there. And then you have Moses who's in the wilderness, once again, kind of ran for his life and, and he killed an Egyptian and, and was running and was in the wilderness for 40 years, same wilderness. And, and, and he sees this bush and he starts having this conversation with this bush that is on fire, but isn't consumed, is, is burning the whole time. And, 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 and it's almost like, hey, Moses, the place where you're standing is holy ground. Take off your sandals. And Moses is like, I've been walking on this ground for 40 years. There's nothing holy. You know, but it, but it was just because maybe he wasn't aware that the God who was hovering over the waters in the beginning was actually there in that wilderness as well. And I think um, you mentioned uh, somebody who, who loses a loved one all of a sudden becomes very attuned. It's almost like we come be, become more aware when we're going through the struggles, when we're having the difficult times of things around us and how God is speaking, rather than sometimes when things are good and we can start to focus more, become more narcissistic maybe, and life becomes about me, I'm doing pretty well, I don't need God to help me in these moments. And so what would it look like for us to live all of life every day with the awareness and the understanding that the presence, God's presence is here, it's, it's all around us, and be trying to become more in tune with what God might be saying to us, might be speaking to us on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, 
rather than just in those moments of crisis, just in those moments of, of desperate need, but he's always wanting to lead us. He's always wanting to speak. And, um, and so I think it begins with an understanding that God is always present. God is everywhere. Well, I think it's very difficult for us to be attuned to the voice of God because we are so enculturated. We hear everything through the audio system, if you will, of culture. What's different between us and the ancients is that in in the in ancient times, you really had this understanding that God was the agent behind everything. Like that God would, that nothing happened without God's involvement in the world. And we live, we live in an atheistic society, not just in the sense that people don't believe in God formally, but we believe that we are the ones running the show and we run to God only in the moments where we feel like we don't have things under control. And so we're really not expecting to hear from God because we are not convinced that we actually need God in our everyday lives. We, we are not attuned to the voice of God, to the voice of nature. One of the things that's interesting to me about the climate, what should I call it, a, a crisis, and the conversation around the climate change and everything in the world that's going on, one of the things that's very important for us to just think about is that we don't consider the world to be God's. Yeah. We don't consider the earth to be holy. We don't consider, we don't even consider that God created it in a particular way. We just see it as um, a utility for us to use. So the oil, we just, we just are tapping the world for oil. We just, we want the oil. Sunlight, we need to use it for energy. You know, rivers, we need to use it for electricity, coal, all this stuff. We just, we want to take, 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 take from the earth, but we don't consider like the ancients did that the earth is God's, that it, that it may be calling out to us, that it may be saying something to us about the nature of God. And it's, it's always frustrating to me to hear Christians or people who claim to have faith in the in the conversation of climate change, kind of disregard um, things that are going on in nature and saying, all oh, those things aren't that big of a deal because really fundamentally we do not have a God view of the world. We are not theistic. We are atheistic. We start with ourselves and we ask the question, how does everything relate to me? And we don't begin with this, with this ancient idea that the earth is God's that this is God's domain, that his spirit is everywhere. The, the, the old hymn, um, this is my father's world. We do not believe that song. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the hymn writer says, in the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Yeah. We don't actually believe that. Some people, some people make fun of that song and they say it's just crazy mysticism. Yeah. But it's not crazy mysticism. Have you ever gone to the mountains? If you go and sit in Colorado and just allow yourself for a moment to get off your phone, watch the sunset. You can't help but recognize the, the terrible, amazing presence of the living, creating God. I mean, it is just humbling. Then you see the stars come out. 
And you're all of a sudden aware in a dreadful way of how absolutely small you are. I had a professor at the University of Chicago who was a Jewish rabbi named Michael Fishbane, and he wrote one of the most important theological books of the 20th century. It was called Sacred Attunement. And what Fishbane said is he said in the book, among other things, that really the highest aim of humanity, of mankind, would be to come to a place where we are attuned with what God is doing. Where to be a spiritual being, to be a person of faith, is not to be someone who understands everything really correctly and believes things and has the Bible memorized and shoves it down people's throats. But to be a person of faith is to be someone who sincerely is attuned with what God is doing in the world. This is why... um yeah, this is this is huge. This is so many things are coming to mind. But I think this is uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote a book called Sabbath, and I think that this is why God set up Sabbath because our lives get so busy, and we need a day where He talks about um, Heschel talks about time and how our our lives are lived for a different time, a different understanding, and you need a day where you're not producing and you're not part of the system, you're not part of of the always just working, working, working. And so Sabbath is so important. And then even if you look at the rhythms of the Old Testament of every seven years, you let a field lie, you know, you don't plant a field so that it can recover, the earth can recover. Oh, we couldn't do that. We couldn't do that in a capitalist society because time is money. And then every seven years of seven or 49 or 50 years, everything goes back. And so I think what is set up are these rhythms of helping us understand that we live for a different time and and stopping and and not becoming part of just the culture and the system, but we stop and we recognize and we take time to look around and we take time to be with family and we take time to commune with God because it reminds us that we are living for a different time, a different place, a different understanding of how the world works. And uh, and we've lost that. And, and so I think... Um, those rhythms that that were set up were for our benefit. You know, Jesus said Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so it was it was it was so that we could understand and we would have a time to stop and reflect and be aware of how God has spoken maybe in the past week and maybe what God is saying to me at that point. And we've missed that. And 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 you're right. It it our world and I know for my own life, like it is a crazy time for, for us. Every Friday night and Saturday with football, my oldest son marches in the band and we runs cross country and I coach cross country. And so literally every Friday night and Saturday is just spoken for. And um, and so if I'm not careful and if people aren't careful, we can miss, we can just get caught up in, in the busyness of life. And I think that's why God said, no, you got to have a day. You got to have a day, a week, and then a day or a year or whatever, where you just stop and you realize that that I am there. I don't know that many people would consider the fact that not observing the Sabbath might actually prevent us from hearing the voice of God mm. on a consistent basis. I don't know that we teach that much in the church, that the Sabbath is about one's ability to actually connect with and convene with God on his time, <laughs> in his reality. Yeah. You know, 
God communicating with us, it, God doesn't just communicate with us for the sake of nature or the earth, but really for the sake of people. Uh, one, of, uh, one of the times in my life where I'm most confident that I heard the voice of God or the nudging of the spirit, I completely ignored it. Uh, Kate and I were driving home to our uh, home when we lived just south of Chicago from Michigan. We were on I-94 and we were driving, I was probably going 75 miles an hour on the interstate. And I felt in my gut, stop the car. I'm flying down the interstate and I just feel this, feel this feeling or hear this voice. I mean, I, I realize that this is my memory and so it may be, may be clouded, but I know that either, either a feeling or a voice or something, I knew I was supposed to stop the car and I just ignored it. Kate's talking to me a couple moments later, I just feel this, stop the car. And uh, we come over a hill and we are about to go over under an overpass. And I look up on the overpass and there's a troubled middle-aged woman about to jump, about to take her life. And at this point, I'm uh, even slamming on my brakes. I'm not going to stop under the, under the overpass. And Kate, Kate also saw the woman. And I said, Kate... I just disobeyed the spirit. I felt like a tenth of a mile back there to stop the car. And I didn't know why. And I just ignored it. And I wasn't looking for the signs. And I just, I just completely ignored it. And I was supposed to stop because that woman's about to take her life. I, uh, the next day, I, I took a mental note of where I was on the highway. Uh, I looked at the next mile marker. So the next day I got on got online and figured out where I was in Michigan at that mile marker on the highway. And then I looked at local news outlets to see, you know, what had happened or if there was any story. And sure enough, there was a story um, in a local newspaper of a woman who had been apprehended, who was wanting to jump to take her life that Sunday afternoon. But another motorist, probably more attentive to the voice of the spirit of God, stopped and stopped traffic for upwards of an hour. And they helped her down and she was, uh, I don't, I don't know what they said that she had been like taken into custody or was in the hospital or whatever it may have been. But I realized in that moment, several things about the nudging of the spirit of God. One of them is, I think we, we often think about ourselves as very, very important. And I realized God doesn't just speak to me. <laughs> He's speaking to other people at all times. Yeah. God doesn't discriminate when it comes to, when it comes to needing to get work done in the world. Uh, and the Bible testifies to that. I mean, I, th I think it's Isaiah 49 that says it would be too small of a thing if I just did something in Israel. I'm going to pour out my spirit on it everywhere. People are going to hear me. I mean, this is the prophet Joel. This is what Peter stands up at Pentecost and says in the last days, God's pouring out his spirit indiscriminately. Yeah. Men and women, they're going to hear, they're going to prophesy, <laughs> they're going to interact with the spirit of God. But I also, I also realized that day that when the spirit nudges me or speaks to me, God's not messing around. It's not that God doesn't try to connect with us or speak to us for trivial things. And I wonder how many people have been affected in my life because of my enculturation, because of my lack of obedience, my lack of willingness to be attuned, to obey what the spirit is saying to me in my everyday life. 
It reminds me of, I'm just trying to think of other ways that we sense God speaking and we sense God moving. It reminds me of, and I literally just preached on this Sunday, the Micah 6, 8, to act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly. And so we talked about what does it mean to walk humbly with God. And and as I was looking at, you know, just the the, the language and, and what it was trying to really speak to, the walking humbly part is this understanding of it, that as I walk, I'm always... It's always in reference to the people that I'm walking with, that that I can't ever walk, that that walking with God is always actually kind of this abandoning of, of all of my wants and my desires so that I can then attempt to meet the desires of others or what others are going through. And that when we do that, the, the, what is awesome about the bio, uh, that passage is it's one of the only times, and, and some of the, the people I read said it may be the only time. Like there's there's passages where it talks about walking before God or presenting ourselves before God, but this passage says that as we are walking humbly with those along the the journey that we are walking with, it's like we're actually walking with God, and 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 it's not a coming before, it's not a presenting myself, but it goes back to the, the Genesis three that we are literally walking with God when we are walking with others who are doing that uh, or, or on the journey with us, and it reminds me of. The great theologian Henry Nouwen, who was a part of the academy, and and and, and in a book called In the Name of Jesus, he describes he was literally losing his soul. He was losing his walk. He was losing this connection with God. Being a professor, being right? a professor at Harvard, one of the most prestigious schools, and in our world's understanding um, and in the culture, they would have looked at him and said, "He's made it. He's arrived. He's he the is, he's the enlightened one because he's teaching at Harvard. He is at the pinnacle. Like that guy has done it." and and yet he said that inside he was just a mess because he was losing what it meant to, to really be a follower of Jesus. And so he left it all and went and lived in this community, I think in France, the Layart community of people with disabilities, or maybe it's in America. I don't know. Anyways, but this this community of people with disabilities. And when he got out of this understanding of what culture said was important, but actually walked with people who didn't view all of those things as good. They didn't even care. They didn't know how many books he had written. They didn't know that he had taught some of the, probably the best minds in, 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 our, in the country. When he walked with those people and it no longer became about him and his accomplishments, but walking with people who, who needed him, who, um, and he was more attuned to the other, he said he found God again. And, and it just reminded me of that passage of he was able to then walk with God again. And I think that that's the goal. That's what happened in Genesis 3. They walked with God. They, they literally walked with him. And in the end, it says that once again, God's dwelling will once again be among his people. Um, so I think it's the desire of God that he He literally wants to walk with us. But the way that we do that is not attuning ourselves to the culture and what it values, but it's attuning ourselves to the spirit and to who God is and how he wants us to be in the world. What you're saying is very much an echo of one of the most important concepts of early Christianity, the Philippians 2, kenosis, Mm. emptying oneself. I mean, what you're implying is in order to hear God, you must empty yourself. This is a Richard Rohr idea. I I heard Richard Rohr speak on this. It might have been a podcast I was listening to where he, he said, you know, to empty oneself is, is very, very difficult in our age. To even empty oneself of one vile thought, he says, is very, very difficult. 
But this is sort of the, the Christian project. But Paul says in Philippians 2 that your attitude ought to be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He emptied himself. He subjected himself to the world around him. This is, this is selflessness. Yeah. This is godliness, according to Pauline theology. This is holiness. To completely empty oneself, therefore availing oneself to what God would say to you or what those around you might say to you, speaking to you. This, this honestly makes me think about uh, the, the fact that we don't ever talk anymore about angels. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. In the Bible, God speaks to people through angels. I mean, the three visitors that come to Abraham, historically we understand them to be angels. Um, Mary, how does Mary find out that she's going to have the son of God? An angel yeah. comes to her, right? Um, we understand the, the, I think it's the woman who had Samson in the Old, in the Old Testament. A messenger, an angel. They're... Throughout the Bible, this term messenger and angel are synonymous. God speaks to people through messengers, through angels. And I don't know that we are open to what other people would say to us or speak to us that actually might be the voice of God. Some of the stories that are most easily dismissed in the church that I've heard are stories where people claim that they were spoken to by someone that they never saw before or never saw again. This idea of angels, listen, we're not trying to creep you out today, but we're talking about the mystical. We're talking about, you know, is God speaking to us? And throughout scripture, what we find is we find people who are willing to be, they're, they're open to the possibility of God talking to them through angels. Where really, if, if someone were to show up and speak to us and say, you know, this is the word, the word of God. In our, in our arrogance, in our narcissism, I don't know that, that we would give, give, give the person consideration, right? Well, I think, you know, it reminds me of, you know, one of everybody's favorite Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, and Clarence. <laughs> that, is my, that is my favorite movie. <laughs> and, you know, here was this... this guy that looked like just a person and yet for George I think it yep. was it was his saving saving grace and he needed this this person angel um and once again we look at that and we think oh that's great but why 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 would it be so odd that 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 I would even look at like maybe you and if you were to speak something to me and say, man, God sent that to me. And I think a lot of scripture is people trying to come up with language to describe the divine and how the divine interacts um, with humanity. And so I, I think a lot of times the language they would have back then was, hey, it's an angel. You know, they had this very keen sense of this spiritual, that things were happening in this right. other realm, in this other um, arena. And, and so they would use the word, the angel, um, and they would, so I think that, that as we are journeying through, 
why, you know, it's, it talks about the burning bush, that it was an angel that spoke through the burning bush. It wasn't a physical form. You know what I'm saying? But it was a messenger from God who spoke to Moses through this burning bush. And so I think it's it's all in the understanding, once again, that that God is everywhere. God uses all things. Um, and, and why would we discredit anything and say, well, I, you know, God used a donkey. God used a handwriting on a wall in the book of Daniel. God, God... I think God wants to use all the things around us. Once again, it's us becoming aware and waking up to saying, man, that, that, that was unbelievable. It's Brother Lawrence, who the practicing the presence of God, who every morning woke up and did the dishes. And for him, that was a holy moment where God spoke to him in the ordinary, in the mundane, in the everyday. And so how do we wake up each day and say, okay, God, I don't know how you're going to speak to me today, but help me to see you through the everyday moments of life, whether it be walking the dogs or doing the dishes or taking my children to school, how can I see those as holy moments, moments and opportunities to encounter and to speak to the divine and also to let the divine God speak to me as well, rather than having to have these giant moments, you know, love parting of the Red Sea, but but that happened one time. <laughs> And then the Jordan was parted, obviously, but that happened one time. But then God used all of these other instances. And if we're just looking for the seed apart every time, then we're going to miss the other ways that God wants to speak to us. It reminds me of Isaiah 43, where he says, hey, I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. And, and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then as I was studying it, I think it's geographical that because God says, I parted the Red Sea, I did this. And then he says, but now I'm going to do a new thing. And because at that moment, they were in Babylon. And he says, streams in the desert. So now to get to back to Israel, they didn't need to cross the Red Sea. They had to go through the wilderness. And so if they were looking for, once again, a Red Sea moment, they would have missed that God now needed to take them through a different path to get them to where they wanted to go. And and so, so like I said, how do we wake up with this new sense of saying, okay, God, Today may just be an ordinary day, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to speak and you're not going to be present in my life. And so how do I see God in the everyday and like Jacob, wake up and say, man, God was here. I just wasn't aware that he was in all of these moments in my everyday life. I love that you brought up It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> I, I think the movie has a lot of theological import. I think the, sure. mir- I think the miracle of Clarence, the angel coming, and I think his project is to completely reorient George's mind that is 100% enculturated. Here's a guy that has a purity of heart that is just unmatched by any of his neighbors who's earnestly seeking the betterment of his community and he cannot see the beauty of his life. That's why the film's called It's a Wonderful Life. Right. It's because the miracle, the miracle of the messenger of the angel is that the angel helps, helps, George fundamentally reorient the way that he's looking at the world in a godly way, in a spiritual way, in a virtuous way. Um, the, the prayer of David in Psalm 51 after he's committed adultery is take not your Holy Spirit from me. And Jesus says something in the New Testament about um blaspheming the spirit of God and us being careful that we don't blaspheme the spirit of God. And I I wonder about myself often is the way that I perceive the, the world blaspheming the spirit of God. Am I even allowing God to speak to me because of all of my stuff? 
because of all of my priorities, because of my life agendas, because of my relationships, because of the things that I do, the ways I choose to spend my time, because of my excess, because of my indulgence, because of my gluttony. How, how am I prohibiting myself from hearing the voice of God? And this is just something that, that recently has been very troubling to me because I don't, I don't want to go through my life and, and, get to, and get to the judgment and be one of these people that, that Jesus says to me, I was, I was that poor person. I was this. I was, and you just couldn't see me. You didn't hear me calling out because you were so invested in your own stuff. But I mean, that's, and that's the picture of judgment we get from Matthew. It's Matthew 25. Yeah. It's the picture we get is essentially that Jesus says, hello, I was calling out the whole time and you never once heard. It's not that I wasn't speaking to you because I was upset or something. It's that you weren't listening. Yeah, it reminds me of the the old illustration, and you've all heard it, but just indulge me. Um, where a guy was in a flood and he was on a roof, and he's like, "All right, God, God, you're going to save me. Could you send something?" So a boat comes. Or no, by. he says no. I think he says he says, "God, please save me." God, please save he's just, me. He just he wants God to save him. That's the thing is he wants God to save him. So he sends. So a boat comes by and he's like, ah, "I can't get in. God's going to save me. God's going to save me, man." Thanks. Helicopter, the whole deal. yeah. Helicopter, no. Hey, no. You guys, you guys move on to somebody else. God's going to save me. He gets to heaven, you know, and you know he pun- dies in the flood. Exactly. And he's like, "I thought you were going to save me." And you know the punchline is, "I sent a boat and a helicopter." What more did you want? What, what did you want, man? <laughs> what did you want? And and once again, just reemphasizes that maybe God is in in all of it. And how do we become more aware? Um, a guy named Rob Bell, which I know gets a lot of bad press, but I love this line. He says everything is spiritual. And how do we be? How do we? How do we have a better sense? That talk is about attunement. Yeah. How do we have you know? a, a better sense? That, that it's all drenched our whole life and every moment is not just potentially, but is literally drenched with the Holy Spirit. And how do we see all of those moments as such and um, become more aware of what that looks like? I pray for us. The prayer of David, that God would take not his Holy Spirit from us, but that we would be attuned, that we would be aware that we would be open to the voice of the Spirit of God calling out to us, just like he did at creation. The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio.